On today's pod, I'm talking with Megan about her journey through secondary infertility and having a home birth. Here we go. Hey, Megan. Thanks so much for joining me today. I know in previous conversations, you've mentioned that you have a four-year-old daughter that you conceived naturally, and it was fairly easy for you to get pregnant with her. And you also mentioned that you had used a midwife to help you through that. Can you tell me a little bit more about what a midwife is and what they do? I live in Long Island, New York. So here, midwife does everything your an OB does. I had all the same scans. Um, we checked the baby the same way. All of my prenatal care was the same. Um, they're just not certified to do surgery. So if you need a C-section, um, an, o- an OB would come in at that point. So that being said, midwives tend to have a little bit more knowledge on vaginal childbirth, right? Because they don't have their training in surgery. So they tend to, and just because you use a midwife doesn't mean you can't have an epidural. It doesn't mean that those things aren't available to you. They totally are. Um, and if you want to have a natural birth too, then a midwife is definitely going to have a lot of resources for you. So I I used a midwife and we had a great birth. It was a long birth. It took about 20, like it was like a full day. I was actually induced at 42 weeks because I never went into labor still. I was like not even a centimeter dilated. So that day they induced me and she was born the next day. So after I had Maris and as great as my my birth was, I still had like some more goals. I had a vaginal birth with her. She was nine pounds, 12 ounces. Um, everything went smoothly. It was just long, but I did want, um, I didn't want to be medicated. I did get an epidural though. So like in the back of my mind, I always kind of had goals for like my next birth, but obviously my baby was here moving forward. When we decide to try for another baby, we really thought it would be just as easy as the first. Why wouldn't it be? And it was, we got pregnant right away. And I was like, wow, I can't believe it. Like maybe it took like two months. It wasn't the first try, but still, I mean, in the scheme of what people go through. I was 13 weeks when I went in for the sonogram and I went in and they started scanning the baby and there was no heartbeat. I remember, and it's funny because that my nausea started to kind of change that week and everyone's like, well, you're in your second trimester. And I'm like, yeah, but I was really sick with my daughter till like almost 20 weeks. They're like, it's a different baby. It's a second baby. And I was like, yeah, you know what? They're right. That's true. So then I was just like, all right, I'm feeling good by 12 weeks. Great. You know? So in hindsight, there were some signs, but not your typical signs, no cramping, no bleeding, you know, it it was a miscarriage. So I needed to have a DNC done. So we scheduled that, you know, I was like, all right, you know, one miscarriage, you know, we, when we were ready, we decided to try again and we tried again and it took like, every time we tried again, it took a little bit longer. Like, you know, we tried for six months, we tried for seven, you know, well, maybe not. Maris is almost five and I just had a baby. So, but you get my drift. Like it was like the months it kept building up and we went on to have three more pregnancies and we lost those three. So four losses altogether after my daughter and they were earlier losses. They were like eight weeks, nine weeks, very early where I would just start bleeding. And then that would be that. Um, I never needed any, any DNCs or anything after that first initial loss. So that was a little frustrating because we would get pregnant and then we were like waiting for the shoe to drop and then the shoe would drop. You know, then I was just getting tired because now it's like, all right, <laughs> what are we doing? Like time's ticking. And then the, the trying became tedious and a job and that wasn't working. That was like, I'm ovulating. It was just completely destroyed our sex life. You know, it was just like we were on this mission and it had it held so much pressure 
And then to, then it was just like, but then if we got pregnant, we still had all this like, mm, but probably not going to keep, you know, another layer added. Right. So I tried, um, I tried a lot of things. I mean, I took a lot of herbal supplements. I did acupuncture for a very long time. I did, um, I saw a doctor that they have out here. Um, he's actually um, involved with like the Catholic medical practices. So they don't believe in IVF. This isn't why I went to him. This was just a little step that I did before I moved on to IVF, even though my beliefs are different than his. So they'll do everything up until IVF. So I felt like that was a good stage, right? So they filed, they tracked my ovulation. I would do like trigger injections to guarantee that I was going to ovulate. Um, a lot of sonograms. He had me on a list of supplements, vitamins. I took antibiotics the week that I was leading up. Um, I used this whole tracking um, system that's, I forget the name of it now. Oh man, I wish I, I had a folder. I would have to do stickers like green when I was ovulate. I did the whole, there's a whole name for it and I'm totally drawing a blank, but my cervical mucus, I did things to increase that. I did the acupuncture and then I just was like, again, it was just a big commitment. It was completely consuming my life. I was on like every Facebook page. So then I went to my first IVF clinic for whatever reason, like I still wasn't ready to like, I didn't want to take Clomid. I guess I had just heard things and I'm like, I don't want to gain weight. I don't want to be, I don't want to not be able to exercise. Like I exercise a lot. I'm like, I'm not ready for that. And it was tripping me up because I have a baby. So I've done this before, you know, and secondary infertility for those who don't know is like you carried a baby and now you're having trouble getting another baby. (laughs) So it's happening after your first. And it's really trips me up. And as grateful as I was that there are women that didn't have the first, right? So I think about that a lot, but it was very frustrating because I'm like, here she is. I know my body can do this. And I had no answers. I had every test under the sun. I always came back fine. He came back fine. I was almost wishing there was a diagnosis because then maybe we could fix it. But this don't know what to tell you was like driving me insane. With your four losses, were you able to collect any information to help you guys identify what the issue might be? So the, the test that the, the pregnancy that I lost, I had the DNC, we did that and everything came back inconclusive. So out of the 300, whatever they test for, nothing came up. So we also did genetic testing and like, I was a carrier of two things. He was a carrier of three, but they weren't matches. So that wasn't a concern. So yeah, really no diagnosis. And then at the first IVF center, they basically went through the motions and followed me through a natural cycle. So I would show up, they'd be like, oh, you're ovulating, you know, go home, do your thing, blah, 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 come back. And I did that for like two months. So like I was surrounded by women who were taking medications, but I wasn't on anything. I was just doing this like natural cycle because I guess I just wasn't ready. I don't really know. And then I went to this other doctor, like last step, I knew someone that got pregnant with him. So I'm like, I'm going to try it. That didn't work. And then I went to a new IVF. Then I was like, okay, now I'm ready. (laughs) So we went to a new IVF center and, um, you know, they, at the end of the day, they just believe that all my losses were from chromosomal abnormalities. For us, we went straight to IVF instead of an IUI because we wanted those embryos tested. So every time we had a loss, we're assuming it's a chromosomal abnormality. So an IUI wouldn't really help with that. So we were getting the, we were getting pregnant, but we needed that embryo tested. So for me, 
we, I was like, I'm not going to do six or seven IUIs. I want, I want to go straight to IVF. And I happened to be ovulating then. So he was like, let's just do an IUI because you're about to ovulate. Let's not waste this cycle. And we did. And I didn't get pregnant. But we, I could say I did one. And then I started IVF. How was your IVF experience? I'm, I almost like feel like guilty saying this. But for me, my IVF experience was not bad. Mood-wise, I felt good, never gained any weight. You know, I also, my protocol, you know, I, I never did like Clomid or anything like that. We went straight to injections. The injections in my stomach were fine. They weren't too bad. You know, the Menopure burns a little bit, but they're small needles. Like it was okay. I was fine in my stomach. Um, definitely was freaking out about the progesterone and oil injection, like freaking out. The day I said I was going to do IVF, started panicking about that. <laughs> They're so big and it's just like, you got to be kidding me. And I decided for me that I was going to do it to myself. I felt like sometimes my husband works overnights and I didn't want to be like stressed that someone wasn't available to do it for me. So, and I really, I'm kind of a person that likes to challenge myself. So to me, I kind of took the whole thing as like a challenge. So for me, the challenge was to continue to exercise and eat well and not let this IVF journey be an excuse, like be the reason, right? So it was the reason I worked out. It was the reason I stayed healthy, not the excuse why I didn't. That is amazing. And just very inspirational to hear you say that. I probably could practice that behavior a little bit more. And it's, it's a hard, it's a hard concept. And I've practiced it many a times before this. So maybe that's why I was able to apply it. I'm not saying like, I'm so great because I did. I just, I've learned my lesson in other areas and I've kind of decided to use the same thing. So for me, the experience was as, I think as good as it gets for being on stimulating drugs. What was the outcome of your egg retrieval? We had 11 eggs retrieved and eight fertilized. We decided to get the, obviously the embryo PGTA tested. So that was to check for chromosomal abnormalities, which made sense for my history. Um, so we went for, we decided to do that. So for, in order for that to be done, they have to um, make it to day five, the embryos, they watch them every day. And on day five, we had two that made it. So from 11 to eight to two, and then they shipped them off to Jersey, the little samples, they froze the other, they froze them and the sample went to Jersey. And they told me like seven to 10 days and it wound up being 16 days till I got my results. And then we finally got the result and we had one normal embryo and we had one mosaic. The mosaic was a girl and the normal was a boy and mosaic meaning both normal and abnormal cells. So we decided, you know, when you have a normal embryo, there's no reason to discuss the mosaic because we were going to put the normal in. Um, Had we only had the mosaic, then we would have had a conversation with a genetic counselor, but we had the one and we said, let's do it. Let's go for that. And he was actually the, his grade. Cause that, you know, they grade these embryos. They look at them, the outside, the inside, they give AA, AB, whatever the grades are. So he had a worse grade. So he looked worse than her, but he was tested normal. So I was like, just, you know, a little confirmation for myself that I was glad we did the testing. And also the fact that only two made it to day five, for me, it was like, that could have been so many uh, miscarriages or losses. Like I was able to do, you know, cause we had eight fertilized, but only really one was normal. So out of, to me, that was eight months worth of eggs. 
What were the next steps after finding out you had a normal embryo? We wound up doing the transfer and it was nice because with the frozen transfer, I was able to, I had my retrieval in August and we transferred October 24th. So it was nice. I was on no drugs. They didn't even put me on birth control. They let me get a normal period, which I got right away. I mean, I've always been regular. I've been fortunate. That was never an issue for me. You know, we did have some things going for us that I was able to do it that way. We did the transfer. I started the progesterone shots, which were, I guess, were not as bad as I had made them out to be. What are your tips on giving yourself progesterone in oil shots? I always did mine with like some heat. I would put heat on my area and I would put heat on the vial. And then I would kind of put my leg up so that the muscle could stay relaxed. And that worked for me. And then I would massage it after. And I think the heat helped. And obviously switching sides. And some days the shot was great. And then like three weeks in, like I would have a day where the shot was terrible. It was like, what did I just do? Like, I've been doing this for three weeks. Like you just never know the nerves, the way it's bruising, you know, you just got to keep, you know, it's the, the last bit of it. How long did you have to wait until you found out the results? We waited nine days to find out if we were pregnant. I was having some symptoms, but I was also on the progesterone. And I think I was still on estrace pills at that point. So who's to say what what it was? I chose not to test. And the reason I chose not to test before that, because with my other losses, I remember one pregnancy, I tested positive. And like two days later, I tested again. I don't know why. Well, I do know why. It's because of my history of losses. I tested again. I had a positive. And then like two days later, I was like, oh, let me just, I just want to see it again, you know? And I peed and it was so faint. It was barely there. And I was like, oh my God, I'm miscarrying. Or or, or it's a chemical or it's something. I just decided that to me, the beta count would be more important the number would make more sense than light, dark, medium colored. And I was just, I'm not doing it. And we only had the one embryo. So I'm like, you know what? I'm not doing it. For me, I'm going to wait for the blood work. The number is going to be more important than how dark or light that line is, right? So I did that. I waited for the blood work and we were pregnant. So that was great. And at about seven weeks, I started bleeding and I was like, we were about to go out to a restaurant and I was in the bathroom and I wiped and I had blood and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, that's it. Like, I'm going to lose it again. You know? So my husband was like, do you want to stay home? And I was like, no, <laughs> let's just go out to eat because you know what? If the baby's going to stay, it's going to stay. If it's going to go, it's going to go. I, there's not me going to a restaurant ain't going to change it. So I put a pad on. And I went to the restaurant when I got home, I had nothing on my pad. Then I had a little bit more spotting later on. And I did, you know, obviously I went to the doctor right away. Baby was great. Heartbeat was there. Everything looked great. And I even had some cramping. So then I was like, oh, here comes the cramping. Like I was really just trying to hang in there. And then it happened. So then they told me, I don't want you working out. I said, okay, that's fine. So I cut back for a little bit. And then at like maybe nine weeks, I spotted again. But the spotting was different this time. Like it, it was like really like light pink brown. Like I, I almost felt like I was almost like, I'm still going to come in, <laughs> but I think I'm okay. And I was okay. And they, t- you know, baby was fine. Heart rate was there. Oh, and I wanted to say too, when, when we found out we were having a boy, that was strange because I wasn't pregnant when we got that phone call. And we, I think we went to like a, like an outdoor fair or something. We were like walking around and there was like a little um, vendor was like selling boy clothes. My husband's like, don't even do it. Don't do it. Not even pregnant yet. <laughs> like, stop. Having experienced loss between pregnancies and, and knowing that the beginning of this one was a little scary, 
were you able to finally enjoy your pregnancy at some point? I, yeah, I definitely, for me, it took a turn. And I think once I got, you know, you always have to get past the point where, where you kind of failed, so to speak in life before. So that 12 week mark, that 13 week mark, like after I got past that, I was like, all right, this is new territory. Like this is, this feels more like Maris's pregnancy. We, you know, I went full term with her. So once I got past that, I, maybe like, maybe really over the 20 week comp, I really started to feel like, yep, feeling good about this. You know, baby's here. My body's done this before. I just felt like I needed to get that, that normal embryo in so my body could do what it does because it did it very well for Maris. So never had a complication. So after the transfer and you were pregnant, what was the experience like after? My IVF doctor wanted to send me to his high-risk OB. And I said, no, that's okay. I want to use a midwife. And he didn't really like that answer. But it's only because he didn't really have information about it. So I think you think like like I did IVF, like I'm a high-risk situation, you know? But when I really looked at my situation... I really wasn't a high risk situation. I mean, I was 35. Okay. I don't really think that's a big deal. And yes, I've had the losses, but now that I was coming up to the 12 weeks, I was on no drugs keeping this pregnancy. My body was completely supporting it. Um, I had no issues with my daughter. So I'm just like, I didn't feel like I was a high risk situation besides the fact of, you know, utilizing IVF to get to where I was. Once my body was doing what it does, I, for me, wanted to go back to the care that I had found and that I enjoyed better for my pregnancy. So um, he's like, all right, well, I'm going to keep you like till you're almost 12 weeks then. I said, that's fine. (laughs) So he kept me to like almost 12 weeks. I had been off progesterone at that point. And then I switched over to the midwifery practice and they never, ever, ever treated me like Oh, like IVF, like never. It was, I was pregnant. I was 12 weeks pregnant with a baby, my second baby. That's it. And for me, being surrounded by people who treat me like that, I feel like I become that, right? So I'm not this like high stressed, oh, but, but I had IVF and I, it's not really my personality. So I needed to be with people who didn't have a red label on my file that said high risk. I still had like my own fears, of course, like we talked about, but it wasn't consuming, you know, my day to day or how my doctors treated me or, so that was important to me. I didn't want to, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to, and again, since I have the experience of my first daughter, you know, maybe someone else who isn't in the secondary infertility world, I could understand how maybe their choices would be different, you know? So I, I wanted an unmedicated birth. Again, then, then I started thinking about all my goals from my other birth. And for Maris's birth, I did like a six-week childbirth education class with this woman who I'm still good friends with to this day. She's almost like a mentor to me. And I learned so much from her. Um, so I didn't have to take her class again because I was just going to apply everything I had learned. But Once I took her class, that's when I switched to a midwife. That's when I learned about a doula and a doula supports. Doula is different than a midwife. So doula is doing nothing medically. They're not making any decisions as far as calling for your epidural or um, checking you, you know, checking your cervix. They don't do anything medical. They're really there for like emotional and physical support. So they're very versed on different positions in laboring. I had um, a doula for Maris, but this time around I got a different doula who I had been doing acupuncture with. So she kind of took the IVF journey with me. She was very experienced. Um, 
And they could be expensive, but they're basically committing to any time of day that you go into labor. And they have a lot of experience and a lot of training, and they're worth every dollar as far as I'm concerned. So it's definitely a labor of love that the doulas do. Um, so we had the doula, we had everything set up, and then, you know, the pandemic was starting to take off and get, you know, it was getting a little scary. And I've always wanted to do a home birth, but I was too scared with my first. So we did everything but the home birth, right? Like I wanted on Medicaid, I used a midwife, I used a doula, and then we had all the losses and then the IVF and the IVF and everything we did leading up to was expensive. You know, um, I was covered for some of it. I'm fortunate, but not everything. And money wise, my insurance doesn't, it's a home birth isn't covered in New York. So you pay out of pocket and it could look anywhere from seven grand to 11 grand. So then on top of all the money we spent, I was like, oh, I'm not going to do a home birth. Let's just keep moving forward with our plan. And then COVID, kind of hit and then some people weren't allowed their doulas in their hospital or their partners. And I was like, oh no, I can't have that. And then my husband was like, why, why don't we do a home birth? You always wanted to do one. And I was like, all right. So I feel like COVID gave me the guts to do it. It didn't scare me into doing it, just gave me the guts. Cause like I said, um, you don't, a home birth isn't something you just like wake up and decide to do that day. There needs to be a little bit, um, and my mentor that I was telling you about always puts it very simply. Do you just show up to the New York City Marathon and get your number? No, you just don't do that. I mean, you could, but I don't think it's going to go well. <laughs> so you have to train for your marathon. So for home birth, there's some preparation and some training that I think would only make your outcome better. You know what I mean? I think you really shortchange yourself not having that as a pregnant woman. And, and even if you don't do a home birth, just educating, your, uh, educating yourself. I mean, it's a, it's the uh, biggest, it's a huge event in your life to birth a child. It's huge. So that's how I treat birth. I mean, everybody's different. Some people, I, and I have girlfriends, they don't want to know anything. Just let me show up that day and have my baby. And I love them for that. And that's great. And baby's here and healthy. And that, isn't that always the goal, right? But for me, it was just a little different. I just felt like I wanted to know the choices I had. I wanted to feel like, you know, um, for me, when I've given birth, my midwife was like a lifeguard, right? So if you're like swimming in the, in the ocean and the lifeguard starts frantically blowing a whistle and you're like, what are you doing? I'm not drowning. <laughs> Same concept. So I just want the lifeguard there, but like, I just want to keep swimming. And if I'm drowning, come and get me. But if I'm not, just let me keep swimming. And that's what my providers have done for me during my labors and stuff. Nobody was trying to save me when I wasn't drowning. And it just made for a more peaceful I guess, enjoyable, as enjoyable as, you know, I mean, childbirth is painful, you know, but it's, there, it's definitely purposeful pain. So having the training and stuff that I had, and when I say training, just, I read a lot of books. I've connected with a lot of people in the birthing community and I kind of manifested what I wanted my home birth to look like. So just kind of manifesting that the baby was going to come and he was going to be healthy and it was going to you know, however long it was going to be, what were my options? If I did need to transfer, we would transfer to a hospital. My midwives had rights to a hospital about 30 minutes away from me. So that was great. Um, they would be able to just 
we literally all pull up in the hospital together and they would continue being my provider. Most midwives in New York don't have rights to hospitals. So if you have to transfer, it's like you get dropped off and you get who you get when you go inside. So we, you know, I knew all the options. I knew the risks. I knew just a lot of different things, but because things had gone so smoothly with my daughter, we really felt like there would be no reason, you know, except for emergencies that I couldn't do it again. So same thing happened. My son went to 42 weeks, never went into labor. Even I thought it's my second. I thought maybe I'd go in sooner, but I didn't. So then that morning I did th that week, I had like two membrane sweeps just to get things going. And that didn't really work. I mean, I was having contractions for weeks, but just nothing was like putting me into active labor. And then that morning I was about two and a half centimeters dilated and they put a Foley balloon in just a tube and it blows a saline balloon up in between the baby's head and your cervix right in the middle, puts pressure onto the cervix. So we did that and we, you go home with that. So they put that in and then we leave. And then that really got things going. I came home, I had a castor oil shake. I did some herbs under my tongue. <laughs> It was a little crazy. And at four at twelve thirty, the Foley balloon fell out, which when that falls out, that means you're about four centimeters. So that was twelve thirty and that fell out. And then my son was born at three forty three. So I had a baby two hours later. And it was just fast and furious. Like nothing like hers. I got in the pool. I had a pool set up in my playroom. So I got in the pool to push. It, that part only lasted about ten minutes. So I pushed them, it came out very quickly, but the, and the labor was like two hours. I labored in my shower, my water broke in my bedroom. Um, and it was my two midwives. I had a doula and my husband and like, everyone just like was calm here. It, they never did a cervical check on me. They just knew my progression by how I looked and sound, you know, like they didn't even need to check me. They knew I was progressing. And then I was, re I felt like I had to go to the bathroom, which means you're having a baby. And I remember saying, no, I really have to go to the bathroom. And she was like, no, you're having a baby. And I was like, I guess I knew that's what it meant, but I didn't think we could be there so quickly. It's, it's only been two hours. Like, how am I at that point already? My, my daughter was a day. So we got in the tub and he came out and we didn't know until about an hour later because we sat in the tub with him for a while. He was still connected to me. And then I delivered the placenta and then we went into my bedroom. We, the party traveled into my room. They had kind of stitched me up a little bit and we were holding the baby and he was nursing and then we weighed him. So we didn't know for like a while and he was 11 pounds, three ounces and he was 22 and a half inches. He was so big. And I mean, I'm almost embarrassed to say that it was pretty easy to push him out. So, and my daughter definitely paved the way for me, but it's been so transformative for me because it really, I mean, if I could do that, right. If, if any woman could, cause any woman could do that. If we could do that, there's a lot of things we can do. Do you have any questions or is there something you want to talk about? Reach out and let's chat. Follow me on Instagram at fried underscore eggs underscore podcast. <laughs>